The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is supported by awesome listeners who are donating to the show. Help us continue what we're doing here by pledging to my studio at www.patreon.com slash Labs. It's April 24th, 2017, and this is the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. I'm Pius Wong, your host, and this time we've got two special guests, Dr. Becky Hambright and Richard Burgess. They were former colleagues at Texas Tech University in the Whitaker College of Engineering and were gracious enough to meet me here in Austin for some breakfast and conversation about better engineering education. I'm Dr. Becky Hambright, and I'm formerly from Texas Tech. I retired in 2012 as the program director for the Texas uh, Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math Center that was located in the College of Engineering at Texas Tech. And uh, I'm Richard Burgess. I'm an instructor in the Whitaker College of Engineering at Texas Tech, and I work for the Murdo Center for Engineering Professionalism and National Institute for Engineering Ethics. We sat at a booth at Kirby Lane Cafe, an Austin staple that can get busy in the morning, in case you're wondering about the ambiance. I asked Becky and Richard first how they met. It was a fortuitous meeting. We had occasion to do a lot of, of STEM and engineering ethics, especially engineering ethics workshops together. But the way that we initially met was, uh, as um, the program director for the T-STEM Center, we were doing a summer program for the ExxonMobil Bernard Harris Summer Science Camp with 50 students from the Lubbock and South Plains area. And I was trying to pull together STEM associates to come in and provide hands-on, project-based learning-driven workshops for all of these students. They were, uh, at the time, they were 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. So we're talking a completely, we're talking that kind of an audience (laughs) for two weeks, uh, residential camp, and Rich was kind enough to come in (laughs) and provide the engineering portion and, and, and that evolved into an engineering ethics relationship that he and I had, have had now for a long time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Rich, were you ready to handle a bunch of junior <laughs> high schoolers? No, because at the time my son was still elementary aged. And so, um, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And actually I found it in some ways more intimidating than going in front of my my group of undergraduates that I teach, you know, that was a, a comfort zone for me. And I'm like, oh boy, what are these uh, junior high kids going to be like? Are, are they going to get any of my pop culture references and things like that? So it was it was a little nerve wracking at first, actually. But I I think I found a groove eventually with them. Yeah. Becky, it sounded like it turned out okay because you guys did a lot of work for a long time, right? Yeah. We wound up with really good numbers for our camp. Um, it was our first ever that year, and then and we did get funding for the next year, so I guess it turned out okay. <laughs> we had fun. So, Rich, you focused on engineering ethics at those workshops and just in general at Texas Tech. Uh, even though you weren't formally trained to, I guess, deal with younger kids, I'm just curious, how did you get into that field in the first place, teaching engineering ethics? <laughs> 
So I'd love to tell you that I felt a noble calling and went to engineering ethics, but it all started out with me being a poor graduate student. And um, I was a graduate student at Texas Tech and needed to earn a little extra money. And uh, the Murdo Center was looking for someone to do some grading for their engineering ethics course. And so I started doing that, but I very rapidly realized how important it was and how interesting it was and how broad it was and so I ended up I ended up falling in love with it but my motivation initially was just to make a little extra money you know doing a little extra grading on the side to supplement my income so <laughs> that sounds like a very meta ethical situation in general because you were a philosophy student then right. at grad school that's right, and, and I know this will come as a, a shock to your audience, but um, philosophy graduate students don't make a lot of money. Uh, and I, ha I was, uh, had a young, a young son at the time, so I was looking to make a little extra money. So um, I found the, uh, the idea of extra cash appealing. So yeah. And I'm going to talk about engineering ethics more in detail in just shortly. I just wanted to ask you, Becky, what other things did the T-STEM Center do, and what other things did you do over there? Oh, well... Um, List, so. Yeah, the, there were at the uh, at that time there were te seven T STEM centers located throughout the state of Texas that were in uh, under the umbrella of the TEA. So we were charged with in the beginning providing these kind of uh, camps and workshops and projects and programs like robotics and and um, for students. And at the time we had engineering outreach that sent engineering uh, grad, undergrad students, well, and graduate students, into classrooms in the, Lubbock, in the Lubbock schools. So we had a very successful engineering outreach program for several years. Then the, the focus of the TSEM centers changed with the changes with TEA, and, and so then our focus became on uh, training and technical assistance for the teachers. So most of my job revolved around professional development for trainings for teachers and to go on to, to do site visits on campuses to provide those kinds of, of um, resources and for, for the teachers. Because at that point in time, STEM was brand new. I started in 2007, and the initiative rolled out in 2006. So we were, we were just on the cutting edge of, of all, all things new in, in Texas for STEM. So there were there were a lot. It, it changed a lot all the time. But we did a lot of camps. We did a lot of robotics. We did a lot of professional development. We did podcasts and, and um, seminars, web seminars. So lots of summer professional development for teachers on campus and and uh, conferences. And so it just was a a, a busy time in STEM. Since you did a whole lot of things, how did you see a need for engineering ethics education? How, how did you know that kids needed to learn about it or teachers needed to know about it? I feel like it could get lost amongst all the other robotics and everything else. It so absolutely could. I think, um, I think probably a lot of this is because of my age. Rich and I were talking about this last night. I'm a grandmother now. And I, those soft skills that we seem to know back in the day that we taught our kids are not as pervasive now, especially now that I'm helping with my grandson's kindergarten class, you know, and I see that kids don't understand the concepts of compassion as much, empathy and, and um, work ethic and those things that we're seeing on, on the university campus that kids have 
not gotten through their growth years, even because, and, and you know, I would love to say that a lot of it goes back to um, because teachers have been so involved with teaching to the test. That's always the problem, teaching to the test, that they don't have time to teach those soft skills. And maybe that's part of it. Part of it may be that we have parents, especially in, in the diverse parents that we're seeing, parents who have to work maybe two jobs. And so there's not that time around the dinner table where you can teach kids how to be empathetic. So um, I see the engineering ethics piece as providing a really strategic focus on what, what our kids need to learn about what ethics is, not just engineering ethics, but it, academic ethics, professional ethics, personal ethics, integrity, those, those skills that um, that can't be texted, <laughs> you know? That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, uh, yeah, Rich, I think that you're the philosophical expert here. <laughs> Since we're getting on the topic, what is ethics and what is engineering ethics? So, um, so there's a lot of ways to define ethics. One of the, one of the ones that I like to use for, for the sake of concision is ethics is the science of morality. And what I like about that definition is a couple of things. First of all, it draws a distinction between ethics and morality, right? So morality is oftentimes the values that we have been raised with, um, whether through our, our family or friends or through our communities or religious institutions and so on and so forth. Um, and ethics is about examining that, carefully and critically examining that and wondering, you know, is this a good, is this a good value? Is this a correct uh, description of, of the world around us? Is this how we ought to live? is the, obviously the central question. Um, so then engineering ethics, to my mind, is looking at how those issues come up in the context of, of engineering and computer science. And there, so let me be clear, I'm, I'm being a little sloppy here. There is certainly a whole separate domain of computer ethics. Um, at Texas Tech, our, our computer science department is part of the College of Engineering. And so when we teach engineering ethics, we teach to both computer scientists and engineering students, and we're very careful to try to include issues that computer scientists specifically are going to face so that it's not just a, a series of case studies on bridges that have fallen down or something like that. We want to try to offer content that everyone can relate to or anticipate that they'll come across at some point. And can you describe how one of your classes looks like? Like, What do your students do in an engineering ethics class? <clears throat> so. Um, I'm not a big fan of just getting up and talking the whole time, you know, being the sage on stage. Sometimes you have to lecture a, a decent amount just to get the, the, the material out. But I often try to engage my students with questions. You know, the good old-fashioned Socratic method, right? Um, you know, why do you believe that? And, and kind of continuing that back and forth. And I try to get my, my other students to do the same thing to each other um, because that's really how we get to the nub of things is this this dialectic you know this back and forth and that critical analysis so I like to roll out material some fundamental principles and everything like that and then we'll move into discussions of those principles why why is this the correct view or why isn't it the correct view and kind of go from there yeah. it sounds like you're trying to incorporate a little bit of um, project-based learning something a little bit more act active learning I guess is that the term yeah, yeah. I think in engineering ethics, what constitutes a project is a little bit different, right? We don't have a, a tangible project we can work on because the nature of our subject is a little more 
abstract in some ways. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think an active, participatory kind of learning model is, is what I want to see. That's where they're where students are going to get the best practice. And, and make no mistake about it, I have grown as a function of my interaction with my students. So this is not a one-way interaction. My students get me to see the world differently, and I encourage them to challenge my views as well. So I've, I've definitely benefited from those interactions as well. How long again have you been teaching this subject then? I've been teaching engineering ethics now for... That's been uh, about 10 plus years of just engineering ethics and then uh, teaching ethics in one form or another, studying and teaching ethics. It's been almost 20 years, I would say, 15 to 20 years between study and teaching for sure. I should know more than I do, but uh, <laughs> I should be better at it than I am. <laughs> Um, that's funny that you say that because a lot of professional engineers that I know may not have studied officially engineering ethics as much as you have. So that brings me to the question of why is it important to actually teach students that? Because some people assume that engineers will just pick it up as we go. Well, so I think the first thing that has to be dispelled is the myth that doing teaching engineering ethics somehow implies that the student is a bad person and that this is a corrective action. Engineering ethics applies even if you're a totally great person because most of the problems, most of the ethical issues that come up in engineering are not good versus evil, in my view. It's mostly about competing goods. We want to see economic benefit, but we also want to make sure that we have environmental uh, consideration, for example. As far as the importance, I mean, there, I think there's, there's a couple ways to answer that. One way is, this is what the profession expects of you, right? There's professional code of ethics. If you're a licensed professional engineer, then the state licensing boards have um, legal, legally binding ethical expectations. Um, but I think more important than any of that is just to recognize that probably more than any other profession, engineers have the most impact on modern-day living. Right. If you live in a even a semi-developed uh, situation, the roads you use, the cars you use, the vehicle, the um, machines that you interact with, the electronic devices you have, the hospital equipment you're exposed to—all of this has had an engineer's hand in it. And so that disproportionate ability to impact people is exactly why we need to be mindful of our ethical obligations, right? Because we can have this outsized impact on the world around us, and so we need to be mindful and careful about that. From a STEM perspective, it's a little bit different. It's a, the, there's a little bit different distinction, especially in STEM, because we do use project-based learning so much with hands-on. One of the key aspects of that is the engineering design process, in so much that we're all engineers, no matter what you do. And, and when STEM first rolled out, when we when we were talking about you know this engineering design process, engineers were people that drove trains, and that was it. You know that was that was the mindset. So now with engineering design process, there are these steps that to there's a whole process on how to design to use engineering design and how that needs to look and and why you need to pay attention one of the things that I have found uh, very important in using that engineering design process and the the whole aspect of ethics in that is that kids now don't want to make any mistakes and if they think they're gonna make a mistake they're gonna they're not gonna try so they just shut down which is not what engineers can do I mean you fail 
and you go back and redesign, that's a huge piece in the engineering design process. So you're expected to fail. I mean, we want you to fail in the sense that you need to go back and redesign this and make it look better. And and, and I know you want to say something on that. No, no, I want to add to that. I'm really, so I'm really glad you bring up the engineering design process because I think the, the ideal scenario in terms of how we're teaching engineering ethics involves incorporating ethical questions in the design steps themselves, embedding it, embedding it in the process as opposed to treating it as a kind of uh, beta stage, uh, penultimate kind of consideration, right? What I want to see is using that design process and at every step we have sort of concurrent ethical questions or considerations. So I'm really glad you bring that up. So when these kids are getting this at an early age, for, for what we've done in K-12, we know when we start STEM and you start this when they're, in, when they're little, when they're in elementary, by the time they get to rich, okay. they know what we're talking about, that yes, yeah. we want you to redesign this because the more times you redesign, the better this is going to be, and here's the reason why, and the impact that that's going to have not only on them professionally, but academically and and uh, and personally, you know. And so that's to me that's one of the really impactful reasons that we need to concentrate on ethics in the process, beginning at such an early age. Which is why K-12 working with students was always such a passion for me. Yeah, and um, and I. Our, our great hope, I think, and, and there's some reason to believe that it's got some, some legs on it, is um, ethics can open engineering up to people that might not have thought about engineering before. So I think there's very much this mentality that engineering is uh, just about applied mathematics and physics. And, and that's certainly, you know, part of the equation, right? Um, but engineering is also this opportunity to help people. It's also this opportunity to improve the circumstances around us or to, to um, lessen our impact on the environment. And so that appeals to a whole group of people, I think, that otherwise might have written engineering off. And I'm actually one of those people. So, I mean, I have two degrees in philosophy. And after a couple of years of working in the College of Engineering, I decided I wanted to pursue a Ph.D. in engineering because I saw this great um, power and promise in, in, in engineering and I wanted to be part of that dialogue in a very direct sort of way. And so I started working on, slowly working on a PhD in, in systems and engineering management. Um, but, and, and I'm no math genius, right? I just had to kind of get in and work hard at it. But what motivates me is, is this ability to, to improve the circumstances of, of the people around me or the environment around me. Now the question is, especially for teachers listening, how do we do it? So can you give me any examples of successful programs or even case studies that you have used to teach ethics? Uh, so um, one thing, so in engineering ethics, there's a lot of uh, historic cases that are very popular to talk about. It's part of what grew engineering ethics and made it a cogent discipline. So uh, very popular case studies include the, the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster and the Columbia disaster, the uh, Pinto uh, situation, the Hyatt Regency collapse. More recently, of course, we've got VW, we've got the Gulf oil spill and, and um, all kinds of interesting things to talk about. Mm -hmm. 
but there's a to me there's a caution that needs to go with using case studies so when we look at case studies where we have the benefit of hindsight and we have the privilege of consequences it's very easy to armchair quarterback what should have been done and when we're removed from the situation it's also very easy to um, to again sort of pre uh, to prescribe what should happen and <clears throat> those those disasters are important teachable moments but we don't want our engineers to wait until there there's a disaster and go <laughs> my bad what can we learn from that right um, we want them to anticipate and head problems off at the pass and so just looking at case studies where we have the full knowledge the hindsight that's not very helpful necessarily so what I've done in the in the classes I teach at the undergraduate level and what I've tried to do with K through 12 kids is to pick more open-ended cases or to choose a problem versus a, a discrete case. And so one of the ones that I really like using is looking at electronic waste. So we have uh, a growing level of electronic waste in the world. And, you know, in this country we have people that are getting rid of phones every year because they're just sick of it or whatever. Or we've all had the old CRT monitor that we laugh at now that we're like, wow, those things were ginormous. And all that stuff has to go somewhere. And if it doesn't, say, go into a landfill, um, then it's being piled up at some somewhere. And a lot of times what we're doing in, say, the U.S. is shipping this off to some other country, and it's sort of out of sight, out of mind for us. But there's real serious environmental problems associated with this. There's, um, there's justice issues associated with this because, let's say, if there are kids that are breaking down the computers to get valuable components and materials, they're getting exposed to lead and mercury, and there's all kinds of health issues. So I like using a, a problem like that because it doesn't have a neat solution. The um, boundaries between what an engineer's responsibility, what a computer scientist's responsibility, and what a consumer's responsibility are not neat and tidy. But those are exactly the kinds of problems that we need our computer scientists and engineers engaging and thinking about. Ethics should ultimately, especially engineering ethics, should ultimately be proactive, not reactive. And how do you have your students display their knowledge of that? How do you assess them? Do they write papers? Do they have discussions? And then how should K-12 students present their knowledge? So uh, in, in the undergraduate class that I teach, we do that in a, a couple different ways. So we have the classroom discussions that I, that I hinted at earlier. Um, they do, my students do uh, write probably more than they care to do. Um, but in ethics, what, when we're evaluating uh, educational outcomes and ethics, we're not necessarily looking at the the particulars of their position. We're not ju judging the position and saying, oh, I agree with this or I, I don't agree with this. What we're primarily interested in is the reasoning process that got them there. What kinds of argument have they constructed in support of their position? How have they thought about it? Have they thought about potential counter-arguments to their position and and so on? Um, so we want them to, we want them to do that critical thinking. And so the way to encourage that is to, to, to get people to build an argument and build one that can um, stand up to scrutiny and careful examination. Um, so yes, they do writing, they do classroom discussions, uh, that kind of a thing. What we've done in the K-12 through uh, domain is we've encouraged the kids, to, we've had some, some success with um, giving them an open-ended problem to solve and having discussion and then the kids have to present uh, their results or one of the things we did in the context of Bernard Harris uh, the Bernard Harris summer science camp uh, was that they had to 
make the case for space exploration. And so they put together a PowerPoint slide, but what they had to do is say, yes, this is, this is going to be costly from an economic perspective, but here are the benefits of doing so. And they had to address in that same presentation the social and ethical issues that come up with space exploration. And it was, I can't stress this enough, it was all integrated together, right? It was embedded in that um, alongside of the technical questions. I think if just cheating ethics as this discrete afterthought is problematic. Whereas if you weave it together, what you're teaching students is that ethics is just as important to engineering as is math and science and all the other disciplines. Uh, from the classroom perspective on all this, the, the teachers are charged with teaching to standards. You know, we know that the T-test now is the thing that I mentioned earlier, and they're, they're all familiar with that. But we know that they have to teach to college and career readiness standards, and they have to teach to the 21st century learning and habits of the mind and all these things that are a part of, in addition to their content standards. So they have all of these standards that, that they are required to adhere to in order to get this. And that's a lot. That's a lot to think about. But like Rich said, that can be... Uh, and, and that's why project-based learning has been successful, I think, because it does uh, incorporate all that. It's a conglomerate of all of those things together. But not everybody has, not all teachers have the um, the resources available to them, especially where we're, where you know, where we're from in the in uh, small rural schools. It's really difficult to be able to have somebody to come out and do professional development. So, yeah, it's uh, unless you're a part of the, the STEM network, or you're you have a, a Texas Tech University or a UT or a UTD or one of those that's nearby, so that the teachers have that. The service centers provide a lot of training for that. But as far as to come to your campus and give you one-on-one -on -one for how to incorporate that into classroom, it's really hard. So there have been, a, it's so nice now that teachers can actually do podcasts and they can do, there's so much available to them for, uh, let's say, the 21st century learning skills. And so those types of things teach kids communication skills, that the, the teach the teachers too, but, but then they can use what they learn in the 21st century learning skills for problem solving and research and rigor and relevance and all those things that are so important to be able to incorporate all of this into their classroom strategies and the 21st century learning skills and especially the college and career readiness now that includes life readiness so I have seen in the last especially the last couple of years that instead of the catchphrase for the college and career learning um, that leads kids in, onto campuses yeah. there are a lot of students that either can't afford or don't want to spend that much time on 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 college they want to they have a propensity for career but more than that what we see as and what that's where the ethics portion comes in is life readiness those life readiness skills and that's just a, a panorama of things that can be taught through teamwork the that especially in engineering uh, engineering a lot of kids don't like to do the team projects at school we know that because there's always one that doesn't want to have to work and one that wants to do too much so those kinds of classroom uh, strategies that teachers can use and again project-based learning just helps guide that the narrative for that 
but um, teaches those kinds of skills because we know that once you get into the real world, you're going to have to be a team player and you're going to have to take instruction and you're going to have to show up for work on time and, and you can't ask for a raise within the first six months. We talked about that last night when we were talking about these questions. You know, the mindset has got to be there is a, you have to have honesty, integrity, ethics, and, and the kids can learn that through these programs and projects. Robotics is a really great way to learn uh, some of those skills, those life skills, because it has to be a team sport. You know, it's got to be a team. Uh, rocketry was one that was very successful at te- at, on the tech campus that we had a, a rocketry program yeah. and you can't do that by yourself right, right. so those are all, all ways that teachers can incorporate these ideas not only into classroom instruction but it also addresses the assessment piece that they have to have toward their uh, to meet the standards that they have to teach to yeah. and I would add to that um, so it's all well and good, I think, to recognize that this is important to incorporate into the to the classroom. I think, to your earlier point, few people would disagree with that. I know Becky and I both have a deep and abiding respect for K-12 teachers and the challenges that they're up against. And here we are saying, yeah, we know you already have too much to do. Here's one more thing yeah. you don't have right, time to do. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I'm very sympathetic to that. And, and I think one of the ways to, to overcome that is to, is to basically again sort of sneak the uh, the ethics uh, content in there um, even just asking a question like okay how's this going to affect other people um, it doesn't have to be in other words this really um, long drawn out additional module or content of information I think even just asking a couple really well formulated questions along the way can really start to get to some of those outcomes uh, that we're talking about and one of the things that we learned in some of the work that we did together is Sometimes there, it's better to talk about ethics without using the word ethics, uh, because when you say ethics to people, either with this audience, they don't necessarily know what you mean by ethics, or it's very loaded and different people have different understandings. And so sometimes, like, I've, I've developed five questions in the context of the robotics work that we did just to get people thinking and talking about ethics, and the word ethics doesn't show up in, in, in any of the five questions. You know, it's... So I'll try to let's see. I'll try to paraphrase them. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'll I'll make material available if, if it's helpful to the audience. Um, but basically, it's you know what kinds of materials are needed to create this technology. What you know what do we need to maintain it? What kinds of energy and material inputs do we need to maintain the the technology? And then another question is, who's going to use this technology? Who's the target audience for this technology? And then a third question would be. Who else is affected by this technology? You know, maybe besides the intended user, if someone lives next to the, you know, your audience can't tell this, but I'm bald. So if I live next to a, if I live next to a factory that makes, that's right, yeah, it doesn't come through. Um, but if I live next to a, a, a factory that makes hairbrushes, right, I'm not really going to benefit from that. Um, but I might still be affected by that factory. Um, and then I like people to, the fourth question would be, what else is affected? And so this is to get to environmental impacts and how does this affect animals? How does this affect the inanimate environment? And then finally, the fifth question is, what do we do with this technology or this new thing that we've created once it's obsolete or once we're done with it? And so we try to get to, in other words, a kind of life cycle um, span of all of this. But again, in all of this, the word ethics doesn't come up. And so these are just questions that can be woven into the project 
to start getting at ethics without hopefully making the teachers feel like they're you know they're already feeling uh, many times I'm yeah. sure overloaded and I don't want to add to that you know so that's one way to I think do that those are some great examples because I for me not even being a teacher it sounds very much like design process questions that you would start asking from the start it is it definitely is um, one of the other things that that I have found very interesting as far as the diversity of, of what you're talking about people come come at these projects and at this understanding and from so many different points of view and a lot of it depends on on race or gender or age or uh, your academic background or um, you know there's all kinds of cultural aspects that you come at these questions with and and if you've not had a, an open mindset to and we talked about that last night if for some reason you've had a bad experience in some cultural aspect of um, and you feel like you've been put on the spot um, that that can cause a lot of, of um, angst from the very beginning of this yeah. process yeah. so if you can open it up the way that rich is talking about especially the kids because uh, Leander here is a is considered a destination district um, and and that just means there's a lot of diversity and we know in the Austin area lots of diversity in this you know so there's a lot of perspectives coming into sure. the classroom mm -hmm. and that's just one more thing that the teachers have got to look at and say oh my god I've got this kid you know ESL student and a special needs student and it's mainstreamed and all these different things how do I incorporate this and I don't know I honestly don't know how the teachers do it my hat goes off to them every day that I volunteer and I'm just at the kindergarten level with volunteering and I still go home exhausted but, but I can see that the way that they have uh, crafted their lesson plans can include the things that, that Rich is talking about without adding anything extra. And now, that's the, and now that is a state requirement. So, you know, what now instead of it being the, the assessments for teachers being so focused on the teachers themselves, it's more individually student focused. And that's hard. That's hard to do when you've got 22 kids that take up your time. So these, all these strategies are, I think, can be pulled together in such a fashion that it makes it, hopefully, it makes it easier for the teachers to incorporate it. These soft skills that we're talking about, and I don't consider ethics a soft skill. <laughs> I consider that more of a... Uh, uh, it's a very life. It's very life skill. Yeah, it's life skill. Um, so that's still encouraging that I think teachers can incorporate it without adding too much of a burden. But another challenge that seems possible to me relates to that diversity. We've got kids in our classrooms that are diverse today, uh, especially in a college classroom with hundreds of kids. To me, I'm just wondering, is it fair to be concerned that that diversity could be challenging when it comes to teaching ethics? Because like you said, maybe, maybe I am coming from a, a different point of view or I have different ethical standards compared to my professor or my classmates and we won't agree on things. How, it, first of all, is that even a valid concern? Well, it certainly makes things messier, right? When you have a variety of different perspectives coming up. Um, but, but messy is not bad in this case, right? Messy is actually good. Um, 
I think that, look, we live in a pluralistic society, so people had better get used to being exposed to different points of view and being able to talk about that in a, in a civil way, to be sure, but also in a way that hopefully exposes them to um, new truths, right? Or sometimes being exposed to a different point of view helps us better understand. We don't change our own position, but we better understand why we believe it. Um, so, so I do agree that, that um, when you have different people coming from a variety of different backgrounds, it definitely creates some initial, some initial messiness and a little bit of challenge of trying to reconcile all those things. But I think the, the key to success is to be able to pivot and use that as an opportunity to facilitate discussions. Okay, why does this person believe that? And why does that person believe that? And one of the things that Becky and I have talked about over the years is that actually that's one way to um, produce greater empathy and, um, and, and, and diversity in a good way because you start to see this person that you thought was very different from you actually holds very similar values. Maybe they express them differently, but they actually, at the end of the day, still want many of the same things that you want. And so when you have that initial sort of dialectic or disagreement, you actually, and, and, and if you stick with it and get down to it, you start to see that, okay, there's actually some similarities and, and whatnot. Um, so there's a kind of, you start to decrease the otherness that is so problematic. And, and obviously we're living in a time in this country of great divisiveness and whatnot. So this ability to um, hear other people's positions and understand where they're coming from and genuinely, genuinely hear it and listen to it is, is more important than ever. And so I think the diversity is actually helpful in that regard. Does it result in better engineering, better products, and, and all that stuff? I would certainly say so. I think that part of the reason that we're so concerned about representation in STEM disciplines uh, is there's a question of fairness, but there's also a question of that's how the discipline gets better. When you have people that see the world differently, that's how you improve. That's how you move the paradigm. And if everyone thinks because they were all raised under the same sort of ideology or the same sort of um, technical paradigm, then we're always gonna we're always gonna get the same outcomes. But when you come in with someone with a different point of view, and they look at a problem completely differently, we get all kinds of great innovative solutions to things that we didn't see before. So the reason we want more women and more underrepresented groups in engineering isn't just for fairness. It's because we want to make engineering and computer science and STEM disciplines better. I mean, more resilient. I have a for, I have a for instance for you. Um, one of the, one of the programs that we uh, did for STEM for a long time, for years and years, that's still ongoing now, is a math, our math science competitions and the robotics competitions. But what came to mind when you were talking about that was the math science competition uh, that our kids were involved in for several years, and in dividing up the teams. The students were divided not just among their own age group, but there were sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, ninth graders. There were high schools. High schoolers were together with high schoolers, but but for the engineering design portion of that, they were all thrown in together. There would there might be a sixth grader and a ninth grader at the designing the same thing at the same time. What was interesting to me at the time that we were doing that is that um, some of those sixth graders were thinking outside that box and I still remember vividly one sixth grader who was very shy very shy came from a different culture you know was not prone to talk but was very interested in this particular design and um, he actually out talked a ninth grader 
and and they used his design and and they went on to to place you know in the competition and I still remember talking to that that sixth grader and he was just amazed amazed that, that they used his design over a ninth grader so it gave such credibility to this young man because not only did they have to communicate? That was part of the criteria: teamwork, communication. Yeah. You have to listen. It's going to be scored, you know, this way. But they shared their ideas so openly that even though the older kid had a great idea, the group decided that the younger student was the one who had the most valid design for that process, and what that meant to him. Um, and so we've had that happen a lot with students, and I've seen that happen a lot on campuses when they when campuses have done their own kinds of competitions especially math and science clubs and competitions and where kids have a, a better opportunity to think outside you know and share their ideas and communicate so that's that's one for instance that I can think of that was a, a rousing success as far as as that diversity and being able to for kids to be able to to um, share their own ideas and not be afraid that their perception just because I'm younger or older or whatever you know whatever the reason the rationale is that you might not listen to me yeah. it didn't matter because they wanted to win so that was that was the whole point at that point in time they wanted the trophy so um, and and that's you can leverage that in the classroom so we we're talking about diversity in engineering we're talking about teaching ethics in engineering are there any resources that you know of that teachers especially k-12 teachers can look to to learn more about it yeah well there are still uh, six t-stem centers available throughout the state and that's all online so you know those t-stem centers all of the service centers uh, throughout the state have got some excellent programs the universities all have almost every university that i know of has great K-12 professional development programs for, for teachers, but also opportunities for the kids. I know in the Austin area, there's um, the, the Texas Alliance for Minorities uh, in Engineering is here on the UT campus. Pickle Research Center has a lot here in this area. Texas Tech has a lot. South Plains College, um, Western, um, Western State, and Snyder even. And those small uh, community colleges have so much available to the teachers. And if they just reach out to, to whoever is the closest to them, there's a lot available. And then a lot online, too. And call Rich. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it might take me a little bit to get back. Um, yeah, I mean, and in addition to that, the Murdo Center has made its material, much of its materials available uh, for free, no problems. I definitely encourage uh, any teachers out there to reach out to me, um, call me, email me. I will send you my material that I've developed over the years, or I'm happy to have conversations about how to approach this. Um, where uh, if you just go to the, you know, if you just Google Murdo Center, which is M-U-R-D-O-U-G-H, uh, Murdo Center for Engineering Professionalism at Texas Tech, you'll see our webpage. Um, I'm, I can provide, I can provide you with links and stuff like that. So people are, are certainly welcome to whatever resources I've developed. Um, and I'm, like I said, happy to answer questions and, and whatnot. So. 
And one, one more thing that, that might be helpful, I, I keep referencing the, the project-based learning. One of the best websites for teachers to go to that has a lot of free information um, is the Buck, Buck Institute at BIE.org. And they have a lot of free information. The Teaching Channel has a lot of free information. So there, it's it's you know the Khan Institute has a lot of free. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Does do the Buck Institute and the other institutions do they incorporate ethics into their design process already, or is that something you have to look for specifically? I, I'm thinking no. Uh, it's for the Buck Institute. I've used their material a lot. And it is the engineering design process, but as far as uh, engineering ethics per se, if it's there, I don't, I don't remember seeing it. But, but it would be very easy. I mean, that's what we did. We incorporated it whenever we did our workshops and programs. We just took the project-based learning base and developed what we needed for our kids. And I think that's that's one last thing that I think needs uh, to be thrown out there is um, how important it is to do a needs assessment, a really credible needs assessment for your campus or your class or the, your professional development, whoever's going to be there, that you do um, you do your research, you gather the data on who it, who it is that you're going to be talking to and what they've been through and what they have available before you just go and say, this is going to work for you. You know, you need to know exactly where they are in the process. And, and the, a needs is just a, even a simple needs assessment, much like the five questions that Rich was asking. Those, a needs assessment of a campus or a classroom helps to develop whatever curriculum and, and instruction method needs to happen there. Are there any other uh, things you'd like to plug or any news from the Murdo Center, for example? <laughs> And there doesn't have to be, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if I've got anything else to add. Um, you know, and I guess there are, there are certainly other ethics centers out there. We're, we're not the only ones doing engineering ethics, and that's encouraging, right? Because um, we, need, we need a pretty diverse uh, sort of look at this. So there's an online ethics center that people can take a look at. Uh, National Academies of Engineering has some, some important stuff to take a look at. Um, and, and those are some, some other good places to, to go as well. Great, thank you. Uh, so I think that is the last question that I'm going to have for now. We recorded for quite a while, but I just wanted to say thank you again to my two guests from Texas Tech University originally. Uh, we have Rich Burgess and also Dr. Becky Hambright, who's an engineering education consultant right now. So thank you. Thank you. What are your thoughts on how to teach engineering ethics? Let me know on the show's Twitter, at K12Engineering, or at my Twitter handle, at Pius Wong. Subscribe to and share the show on all the podcast players, because it is everywhere. And help me out by writing a review if you can. That'll help others find the show. All the details are at www.k12engineering.net. Our closing music is from Late for School by BleepTor under a Creative Commons attribution license. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of Pios Labs, my studio, and you can support my studio, Pios Labs, at www.patreon.com slash pioslabs.
hey, just want to say thank you to the many people who've already bought my book, Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games. Um, that's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, I did that as a little experiment and <laughs> turns out some people are interested. So that is pretty cool. And if you're interested in an in-person training of those types of concepts and you're around Austin or in Texas, send me a message and that'll help me do my uh, customer needs analysis. Uh, but that's all. Thanks for your support. Later.